It's a Bob Dylan version of that song <laughs> by uh, what? Modest Mouse. Is that the people to think float so. on? I I think Is you're it? mistaken. We're gonna get a lot of angry emails because that's on the recording. I've never been a Modest Mouse fan. Is that really their song? Because I actually kind of like that song. Yeah. Huh. we got two other albums. We can play them after the show. I'm not a big Modest Mouse fan. Well, I, I like about three of their songs on two albums. So yeah, <laughs> if anybody out there is a massive Modest Mouse fan, point me in the right direction. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. <laughs> Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the directorial Kristen Pennington, the woman with the direction in her hands. I only have a little bit, though, so uh, <laughs> we might crash and burn early. But um, that's okay, because this is a partly a celebratory episode. Kristen's going to drop some crazy knowledge, because as you heard on Tuesday, I'm obsessed with this thing she's brought to my attention. <laughs> um, the cool shot theory. <laughs> um, but it's Pretty celebratory. Shot. You know why it's celebratory? Why is it Because motherfucking Nano is over, baby girl, and daddy has a brand new rough draft to add to his massive stack of rough drafts. <laughs> Where'd you end up? I wound up at, what was it, 140 pages, I think, like right on the nose with the title page included. Um, I missed the 50,000 marker, which I'm not thrilled about, um, but I wound up at like 35 or 37,000 Um which is more than I've done in a stint in a long time. Yeah, so. that's a lot. And... Yeah, and it's excluding other things that I wrote. Like, I've, I've worked on a few other projects that I have going, but my main project only made it out to about there. Is that the fastest you've ever knocked one out? Like, you worked on your novel longer than that, didn't you? Uh, yeah, the, the Nightmare Box, the rough draft for that took me about three months. Uh, the second novel took me about four because it's a little bit longer. Uh, this one, all in total, was probably 20 days, and I wound up at, yeah, 35 pretty, to 37. I mean, that's hey. pretty impressive. Yeah. That's okay, the audience can't hear me. <laughs> I got a beat in my earphones, so. Um, yeah, you guys no, can't hear those. <laughs> no, I uh, knocked that out. Kristen and I suffered over this printer situation for about four hours. <laughs> And then found my printer was not in the, um, thanks, Jax. Um, my printer was not out in the cold and the <laughs> ice buried in one of our remaining boxes in the storage area. Safely tucked it, in the bedroom. Safely tucked in the bedroom. So I wasted half an hour losing feeling of my fingers for no reason. <laughs> we got that hooked up, printed out the draft. Uh, I dug out the nightmare box, which I've only got like 10 chapters left to edit on that. And, um, and then I dug out the second novel that I wrote that nobody seemed to enjoy at the time that needs to be rewritten and fixed. And to be fair, I and, haven't read it. Yeah. Well, I don't think you'd like it either for the same reason my mother didn't like it, which was it is devastatingly violent. It's probably the most violent thing I've ever written. Yeah, and probably it's, not yeah. my thing. It's like single-spaced, like 175 pages. So it's a motherfucker <laughs> of a book. Um, so I've got all three of those at my satchel. And as it is, um, how would you say, uh, fucking freezing outside, <laughs> I can no longer eat my sandwich in the Jeep because the bread gets frozen. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to come indoors to the break area. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. Brett's so I've got to hang out with people. <laughs> so I'm bringing my satchel so people know that even when I'm at work on my lunch break, I'm not to be disturbed because I work while I'm at work. And then when I get home, I work some more. Um, <laughs> And hopefully I can finish up the nightmare box before the year closes up, start typing that up in January, get that typed up, and then go revisit the feature film I just spent this month working on, uh, flesh out, because I've got some areas in between A and B and in between B and C. Not massive gaps, but gaps that need to be fixed. And then I can work on um, slicing a shitload of it out to the bare bones that it needs to be a cohesive piece because if you yeah. excited i'm pumped but you cannot make a 140 minute long horror film because <laughs> that would be uh two hours and 20 minutes of something no audience for a horror film is going to sit through <laughs> so it needs to be flogged out fleshed out whatever it you know beaten to its core like i am <laughs> um and the nightmare box needs a shitload of work. So it's going to be, I think 2020 is a perfect vision. Brett needs to go fix these stories Brett's written. And um, I'll satiate my creative urges by doing our monthly homework assignments, which if you guys did not check out um, last Friday's episode, uh, the homework assignments there, it's officially live on the um Nightmarebox.com. Night- the nightmarebox.blog. The nightmarebox.blog. I swear to God, I'm taking yeah, we... everything away from that dog the next time we hit play. <laughs> and again, the football isn't anywhere near us. No. He just keeps springing it over and jumping it near us. Uh, but yeah, we added a new section to the website specifically for the homework assignment. So um, every month. If we do one every month, yeah. every month that we do one, there will be a new post. I plan on doing one every <laughs> month, and le- except for probably next December. Uh, it's looking like Kristen and I are going to go visit my mom in England, and we will not be able to participate, but we will probably assign something. I'll um, have a lot of pretty stick. photos for you. But until then, you got a year before we're not planning on participating in it. And we've already got an idea for we ours. Do. We've been batting ideas around. <laughs> and I also, um, again, not alienating anyone who doesn't have gear, took the plunge and bought a new lens. So yep. we might play around with that for hours. What kind of lens um, is it? It's a wide-angle lens. Um, I only owned a 50 millimeter and then a zoom lens which the zoom lens had a pretty decent range on it but i've never owned a wide lens before and when we were working on ziggy which i know you guys haven't seen ziggy but um that i probably need to write that in 2020 maybe that'll (laughs) satiate my extra i I had an idea about ziggy too though so i may wrap up that uh, uh the concept trailer yeah I don't know if we've told you guys that was a concept trailer or not. Um, In case you weren't aware, it was a concept trailer. (laughs) I have a brilliant idea for a television show that we're not going to dive into how I'm doing the television show or how we're doing the television show, but it starts with a concept trailer that we can pitch while I'm writing the show. So So hopefully it gets bought and then I have a reason to quit my job and work on the show. (laughs) So that was... uh... Uh, what we did for my very final uh, senior project whenever I was doing my independent study and we shot almost all of that yeah. on a wide lens. Um, there were definitely some scenes where we didn't, but yeah, I found a weird 
affinity for the wide lens. What does it film. do differently? If you don't, uh, I'm, I have no idea what the different lenses do. So. Yeah. So, um, well, for one, I, it's literally what it's called. It's a, a lens that sees a much wider perspective. Yeah. So if I was sitting here, um, like in increases the, the beam of your flashlight. Uh, well, yeah, to an extent, the way the lens is shaped is actually why it has this effect. So um, my 50 millimeter lens that I'm a big fan of, um, it just gets really pretty crisp shots that uh, tend to be about mid shots or close up. So if I was sitting here at this spot, you know, filming you with my 50, yeah. it'd probably be more of a shot, you know, from your the top of your shoulders at to the top of your head. About three, three and a half feet away. Uh, I'd probably need to move back a little oh, bit, but okay. yeah, yeah, like, um, it'd roughly be like a mid shot or a close up, you know, it would be seeing Brett from like the top of his shoulders to the top of his head and not a whole lot of the background, but yeah. it would just look like a, a normal shot you would see. That's a headshot, you know, on TV or whatever, a nice crisp pretty mm -hmm. image. And then if I took that lens off my camera and put the wide lens, the difference is, um, on the 50 millimeter, the lens is flatter, so mm -hmm. it just doesn't see as much um and on the wide lens it sticks out much further and it's much more curved it's kind of like an eyeball yeah almost yeah. like a fish eye lens but mm -hmm. a wide lens isn't quite you can't actually buy fish eye lenses a wide lens isn't quite as extreme as a fish eye would be so um if i put the wide lens on my camera and was still sitting in the same spot i'd be able to see like all of you in a greater portion of the room um the... It's made for some really cool outside shots when we were trying to get like an idea for the trailer. Mm -hmm. Is that what you used for those like outside where we were going into the graffiti and stuff like that? I think so, yeah. On some of them, I don't think I used it on all of them. it allowed them. you to capture more of the alley that yeah. we were hanging out in? Um, the... There's a lot of consequences to what kind of lens you use, though, or positives depending on what you're trying to achieve so with the wide lens um it effectively compresses the space in the room so i would be able to see more of you but from just a flat visual perspective staring at a screen the bookshelf that's behind brett right now would actually look like it was closer to brett than it really is hmm. so it flattens the dimensions of the space while because the lens is so curved distorting the very edges of the frame so the very edge of the room would kind of start to look like it was curving inward like it a bit. was stretching out um it, it would look like it's curved because the lens literally wraps so it looked like yeah. it's kind of curving in towards the camera a bit so um which you can crop those images when you're editing if you don't want it to have that mm -hmm. distortion effect but yeah it, it slightly distorts the edges of the frame so if i came much closer to you and put this wide lens right in front of your face, your actual facial features would start to wrap and distort too. Huh. So um, it can be a really cool effect depending on what you're doing it for. Like I like wide lenses for one just because you can see much more of the space um, when you don't have as much room to work with. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to show more of the room and you just don't have room to work with, if you slap a wide lens on it, you can show you know, more of the space that you're working in. And then, um, yeah, like depending on what you're using them for, it can make people's facial features look kind of warped and like off. So it can make people seem kind of more creepy or uneasy yeah. than they normally look. Or if you're trying to um, compress space, which that's a shot we've talked about once before and I still can't remember the movie, but uh, 
when I was doing my independent study, there's a film that I watched while I was still in school where um, a guy is running towards the camera because mm-hmm. he's trying to stop the woman he loves from marrying another man. And because the camera sees the space is more flattened, it looks like he's not moving as yeah. far as he's really moving. So to the audience, it almost looks like he's just running in place yeah. when he is actually literally running. So you can do kind of cool effects like that where you can almost... It's like a magic trick. Yeah, yeah. like it's almost like slowing down the speed of your mm-hmm. character without actually adjusting the speed of the film. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool techniques if you do research on what different lenses do. Um, they actually have some pretty cool effects. I did a whole cinematography study that was about lenses that I really need to finish doing the uh, voiceover work for so I can publish that for you guys because <laughs> I did a whole bit about it. But, um yeah, it, it's there's a lot of really cool tricks with it, and I'm just uh, I'm a fan of like the different techniques you can pull off with them that you can't with a normal lens. Are you going to so. use the wide angle for the shot that we have nailed to the wall? We've got Probably. one shot that we know we're going to use, and I'm Probably. pumped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to get it. It's supposed to be here tomorrow, so hopefully I'll have hopefully we'll with have it. that shot by next Friday though. <laughs> I've got to bang out what, how long do you think I should write a 15 minute? Are we doing a 15? Are we shooting for 10? Uh, what's manageable for the director? Probably about a 10, yeah. Shoot for a 10, 10, so like write a 9 to 12? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll add the, uh, yeah, I guess that's another thing to keep in mind. We've said add a, a credit sequence and then well i mean it's just um, you and i and the dog for well, this I know. one <laughs> I know. i'm just saying for the listener in general um you should also add a title or something which i mean that'll only take a couple of seconds but uh don't shoot a literal 15 minute film like yeah. if you're aiming for the 15 minute mark shoot a 13-ish minute film so you've got room for your credits but uh yeah i'd say we'll probably go for a 10 or so that'll work I'm excited to write it because I've already got a couple of ideas and um, I've, I've got what Kristen wants to shoot for sure. Uh, this is Kristen's idea. It's her brainchild. <laughs> it's I, a very vague idea, though. No, I gave but, Brett just um, like the I, bones and I was like, go. It was immediately my brain was like fireworks. I was like, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I know exactly how we can do this. So I'm very pumped. I'm stuck on one or two elements, but... We've got um, a month to do it. We've got a month to do it, so I figure I've got a week to write it, and it's a 10-minute it. yeah. it. thing. You and I can tabletop it and fix it in an afternoon, so it'll be a blast. <laughs> I've, so, been, I've been writing fucking an hour a night, been banging out seven pages a night. I could easily do this right <laughs> after we get done on here. <laughs> Hammered. Just, so if you guys haven't got started yet and you want yeah. to participate, definitely be thinking about it. Um, if you don't have a Faden or Scrivener, something that formats your screenplay for you, I put the money into it because this is a part of my career, um, and you're working just on Word document, take a minute or two and glance at the screenplay for your favorite movie so you can get the basics of internal, external um and how to kind of approach the shot. I have a weird way of writing screenplays because I I can see it in my head, so I try to describe it from that standpoint. Other people put more vague things in there for the director to kind of interpret it as they will, but my director's my girlfriend, so 
<laughs> I have a bit of a affinity for writing it in a certain way. <laughs> well, also, um, assuming they haven't changed that, uh, when we were in school, uh, we both uh, bought Fade In, but I know I trialed it before yeah. I actually bought it. and It's a great program um, if this is something you guys are wanting to do long term. Yeah, you can actually download the free unregistered version of it on your computer for free, mm -hmm. um, assuming they still do that. I think there's a limit on how many pages you can write or something, but for the purposes of this, it'll be more than you need. It does give you a really obnoxious pop-up warning that you haven't bought the program every... Well, that's what's been happening on mine, and I bought it, well, so I don't understand. fix yours, I guess, then. I don't know what's going on with yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, it does give you a really obnoxious pop-up warning that your software isn't registered or paid for every so often, so yeah. that's kind of annoying. You'll be writing and it'll pop up like three times an hour and yeah. kind of ruin your flow <laughs> and you're like, ah, you but cunt. If you if you've never yeah. used uh, screenwriting software, you can download Fade In for free and try it out. I It's fairly cheap. I think it was only 50 bucks. I would mm -hmm. definitely recommend actually buying it if you're serious about it. So uh, And only get into Scrivener if you're serious. Yeah. serious. <laughs> Apparently that one's way more expensive. Yeah, my brother bought that for me for Christmas, and I would never, ever in my life buy it. Because <laughs> it was far too much money. I almost cried when he did. It was like 80 bucks or something like that, which I guess isn't like it. <laughs> it's a lot to... It's a commitment. Hand over it once. Yeah. Um, it does so many things. It's I am, got like fucking 15 templates. <laughs> I am madness. thankfully still getting the student discount for the Creative Cloud, but uh, I own the entire Creative Cloud software, and that, if you don't have a discount, is like 50 bucks a month. Jesus yeah, Christ. because they don't let you buy yeah. it. You I think Scribner is like 70, 80 bucks a year, but Ben like bought it where it's it's bot bot, which was like a hundred and some odd yeah. dollars. Yeah. Adobe did away with uh, allowing you to buy the software. So even like Photoshop and all that, you have to pay a monthly fee for. And if I only wanted um, my film editing software, which is, uh... oh my God, I just blanked on it. What do I edit my films on? Holy crap, it's been a weird week. Uh, what does the icon look like? It, it, well, the whole software is called the Creative Cloud. What the fuck is it called? Wow. I am blanking, guys. Photoshop? Um, no, that's for, <laughs> that's for photos. I've got to Google that. That's going to drive me okay. crazy. I can't believe I forgot it. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys are only working on the Word document, um, those of you who are writing uh, the film and you don't quite know what to do, do not wing it because it's going to fuck up when you're shooting it. So, you know, a lot of the uh, films you've seen before, I've got a pile of them and an accordion folder that I read to try to figure out how to do this sort of stuff. Find a movie you like and either go on YouTube and do that, like, script to film or whatever that... Um, what's the name of that? You know what I'm talking about. Where, like, they play No Country for Old Men, the quarter... I think it is script to film, isn't it? Script to screen. Yes, something like that. Something like that. Uh, that's a good way to do it. But, like, see how it's formatted. You don't need to worry about, you know, necessarily nailing how the dialogue is laid out. But you want it broken up like that. And if you can figure out how to break it up like that, that'll help you a shitload. What's it called? Uh, I edit my uh, videos in Adobe Premiere Pro. Mm -hmm. um, if you're... Um, if you don't own any video editing software, which I guess we probably should have addressed this at the beginning of all of this, I probably would not recommend um, Premiere just because it is 
professional grade software. It's a bit of a learning curve. It is also expensive. If you don't get any kind of discount, just buying Premiere alone is 20 bucks a month. Um, DaVinci Resolve though, is also professional grade software for color correction. Um, it is the industry standard software for people who do color correction work, but they have been moving in the direction of uh, both sound editing and video editing. So you can download DaVinci Resolve for free. Um, you can't edit in 40K or like certain specifications, but for, again, for the purposes of these challenges. Just banging um, out the basics. Yeah, uh, DaVinci Resolve will definitely edit your film for you. It's a fantastic piece of software. I don't personally prefer it for video editing. I use it for color correction work, but... Um, fantastic piece of software and it's yeah. free so there are free versions of screenplay stuff now that i think about it that i used before i got fade in and scrivener um but their names escape me right now but if you type them in there's some really good you know they're gonna hit you with pop-up ads and they're kind of a pain in the dick to export once it's been written but they exist and they'll do a lot of the formatting what I like about Fade In is it's got one through nine on the control section, and you just once you learn the controls, you can go from action to character to parenthetical to cuts. You can, you know. I can't remember because I was using a free one before I bought Fade In. I can't remember the one I was using before. I will say I do remember distinctly preferring Fade In. So yeah. if you well, can... I think you and I were using the same thing when Fade In got introduced to us might have been i don't yeah. remember what it was though because it was like an online thing you had to log yeah. in online to it, and it was all it. green and it was a dick yeah uh, i didn't like yeah. it. so if you can handle the just obnoxious pop-ups from fade in that's probably my personal preference yeah. if you're um, 18 19 you're giving it a shot you don't want to commit that hard for sure but yeah uh, fade in's free for the demo version davinci resolve is free for the demo version those are Two fantastic pieces yeah. of software, so you can participate. Even in this Microsoft challenge. Office will give you thirty days. So, if it's something you want to do, you don't want to commit yet. Put it on your Christmas list. Hope Santa brings it to you. <laughs> you got any other work? I, I love the flow of the conversation. This is brilliant. And then I, I train wreck. After it. I completely forgot what my editing software was, no. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> This is great. I, I don't think about like your side of that. That sounds callous, but nobody cares about. <clears throat> no, I don't. I don't. I don't think about like you use some crazy editing software for even like your basic like Facebook picture. You've got like fifteen filters that it runs its way through I do, to, I own to a lot of software. <laughs> yeah, because my mom's like she needs to take wedding pictures, and I was like she took those pictures on her phone. <laughs> When you see what she them. does with her camera, it'll blow your fucking mind. Kristen's beyond fantastic behind a goddamn lens. She just doesn't give herself enough credit. If you see any pictures on our Facebook or on our social media at all, those are nine times out of ten done with just your standard smartphone. Like, <laughs> I do take most of my photos with my cell phone. And they're I incredible. I have actually... Um, so I could post photos on my Instagram before. Um, my DSLR that I shoot with will actually connect to my phone. Yeah. So I have actually taken a picture on my camera before, sent it over to my phone, and edited it on my phone before so I could post it on yeah. Instagram. So um, even with the photos I take uh, with my actual camera, uh, a lot of that stuff I edit with phone 
picture software. So, (laughs) 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 I mean, you don't need super fancy things. I do own, like I said, the Adobe Creative Cloud. I own all of the software that comes with the Adobe Creative Cloud. And I'm very fortunate that I own all of that. It is very expensive. Um, But because I went to school, I got a discount and Adobe was gracious enough to extend my discount for me. So I still have a discount, um, even though I'm out of school now. But uh, if you don't have access to that stuff, I honestly don't use it as often as one would think for the fact that I own it. So Yeah, and if you guys have any other um, kinds of editing software, writing software, or... um like picture editing software, any of that, they could hit us up on our email at <laughs> nightmareboxproductions at gmail. And we can, yeah, we'll be more than happy to share. If you've got any like crazy hacks, like, hey, if you hop in this month, you know, like da da da, let us know. And I will say, um, just as a practice, uh, I know for this challenge, we said that we did want you to list the gear that you use. You don't necessarily have to add that in the credits. You can just email it. Yeah. Attach uh, it to the email. Yeah. In the description. Um, I will say just as best practice for myself, when I post my own videos, I don't think I did it on the dolls just because we used so much equipment Mm. for the dolls, but all of my little short films that I have on my own YouTube have listed the camera, the lens, and um, I think the sound equipment at the very least. I don't know that I ever listed the lights that I used, but I put that stuff in the description of my videos because, let's be honest, you're probably not going to remember what you shot stuff with later on down the road, and it's just kind of helpful to kind of keep track of, like, learning stuff, like what you used and how you pulled your own Mm -hmm. shots and stuff off. So um, even on my own little short films, I always, in the description, for anyone who's curious, who's watching my videos. You're trying to remember how you got that shot. Now you've got an idea that's similar and you want to use the exact same equipment and you can reference it later on. Yeah. And um, if you don't own gear and you want to start renting gear, I've never actually uh, paid to rent any gear. Like whenever I was in school, I had access to gear that I could rent for free. Um, well, not for free for yeah, about $4,500 a fucking quarter. Yeah. <laughs> my tuition paid for it, but uh, you know, in the immediate, I didn't have to fork it, over it, cash. Yeah, the, the, the ability to rent quote unquote for free was <laughs> almost more than the education that the tuition yeah. was paying for. But um, if you're, you're someone who wants to start taking this seriously and you want to kind of get a feel for gear and you want to start renting from your local film house that's also a good Mm -hmm. way to keep track because i've used different uh sound recording gear and stuff and definitely preferred ones over other ones you can kind of go back and be like oh yeah i really liked that one so um it's just helpful in general to keep track of what you're using so if someone else asks and they want to learn from it they can learn from it or if you want to learn from your own work that you've done you can go back and be like oh yeah that's what i did which you should always do you should be consistently or constantly learning about you know from the work that you've done i look forward to doing that when i go through these three separate projects seeing what i nailed as a kid and what i have improved on things that I forgot that I knew how to do and bringing those back, stuff like that. <laughs> the computer is very active today. Yeah, it it's, all, it, it's all news. The news are, <laughs> did Russia finally get bombed? No, <laughs> um, 
God damn it. We were doing so good. I know. We were, we were on such it's, a flow. You can learn from yourself as well was kind of the point of that. So yeah. Keep, keep track of your own tips and your own secrets in case later on you forget. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was neat. So it helps. Do we have any other advice we can give people? Because when this comes out, it'll be a weekend of the challenge. I mean, mostly with this first one, just have fun. Um, you can do it on just a cell phone. Yeah. So, like, take everything we're saying right now with a grain of salt. And I want to say I, I've owned a lot of the apps that are on my phone for a long time, so I could be wrong. I want to say this was free. Um, there's an app that I have on my own called, on my own, on my phone called iMovie, and I think it was free. So, um if you're shooting it on your phone, there are also video editing apps you can download. I think I'm iMovie. Man, I cannot talk. I know the blips, they fuck you up, right? <laughs> you guys didn't hear them, but four times so far, it's gone bring! Computers <laughs> dinged in our ears. Um, I also have Video Shop. I prefer iMovie. I mm. think they were both free. So um, if you want to participate and you don't have any equipment, shoot it on your phone. There's video editing software for phones that you can download um like i said my preference is iMovie that's what i have and uh i've done little quick snippets on my phone before with stuff so yeah. it is doable all you have to do is get between 5 and 15 that that's it lower cutoff is 5 top cutoff is 15 it's very easy you don't need a whole lot we're not asking you to do anything crazy if you can walk backwards and hold your phone you can accomplish the most difficult part of the entire task and even on the reverse if you want to shoot it on your phone and edit it on your computer again you can download davinci um download those videos onto your computer and still edit videos you took with your phone on your computer so yeah. you can still kind of go back and forth i'm proud of us <laughs> I'm proud of these guys because I know that right about now they're struggling. They're sitting back. They're going, Brett, Kristen, how do we make a film in a month? And we're walking you through it, baby birds. We're going to get there. I will say um, if you want to stick to the lower end, if you want to do the five-minute film, don't feel ashamed by that. 15 is actually a little ambitious. The Dolls was under 15 minutes, and we spent yeah. a couple of months no, on the Dolls. If so. you hit five on the head, to where it's like 5 to 505 and it's the craziest thing I've ever seen I'll probably try to figure out how to Skype call you for an <laughs> interview because I'm, I'm I have an affinity for the six letter story I'm fascinated with the idea of cutting everything down to the essential bare bones to where you can carve an entire human life down into six words. Like, that's my goal, is to kick Hemingway's ass with his baby shoes little verse. <laughs> and <laughs> talking shit on the king. Um, but no, if you, can, if you can create something incredible around that plot in five minutes, that's the route. You know, 15 minutes, you can hit pure goddamn gold. But the shorter you can make it and the purer you can make it in that shortness, don't make a sloppy five minutes. But if you have a tight five minutes, that beats a sloppy 15 any goddamn day. It's true. Do you want to talk about the topic we brought up? Uh, on I'm a hundred percent down. I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> that it, it took us 
roughly half an hour to get to the topic, but I was I, I, I was enthralled a, with that. And I don't have a ton I've to been say about it. <laughs> working all day, and you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning as we go along. So tell me about the cool shot effect. <laughs> cool shot. Cool. I'm gonna grab my uh, my refill. So start with the basics that we covered yeah, on the a, last episode. I got a little bit of history for you guys. It's called the cool shove with a V. Those effect. damn reds. <laughs> it's uh, spelled K U L E S H O V. Cool shove effect. And it's a film editing technique that's actually considered um, montage, like video montage. Yeah. Um, and it was first demonstrated by a Soviet filmmaker named, which I may be butchering I this. called the Reds um, with the Kulshov name. <laughs> I may be butchering this, but it's, uh, I think, Lev Kulshov. It's L-E-V. Yeah. Um, and he used this technique in the 1990s and 1920s, so, you know, much now, earlier. The 1990s and the 1920s, or the 1890s through the 1920s? 1910s, sorry, did I <laughs> You said the, the 1990s? <laughs> I was like, how old was that motherfucker? I was like, Hitchcock was relating back 1910s. to him. The Soviet Union had fallen. 1910s and the 1920s, sorry, guys. Um, Breaking into that OE. <laughs> Um, That's how classy we play it over here, team. Malt liquor forties. I'm, I'm still drinking beer out of glass bottles. Brett's drinking out of well, glass I, bottles. Well, I, 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 I had two face plants. <laughs> if I drank the other three, I or other four, I'd be fucking thrashed. This just leads to rap music and shooting <laughs> at the neighbors. What? <laughs> That's not true. Uh, but anyway, so it's a it's a mental phenomenon by which. Viewers derive meaning from the interaction of two mm-hmm. sequential shots, more so than from a single shot isolated by itself. Yeah. So what Kulshoff did was he edited a short film that showed um, an actor who had an expressionless facial expression, and he cut in a secondary shot after that shot mm-hmm. with several different things. So one was like a bowl of soup, one was a girl in a coffin, and then one was like another woman, I think like in a sexual pose or something like that. The and wo- Sorry, what? I was going to reflect back on the Hitchcock. Oh, my yeah. we'll, we'll get to Hitchcock. Okay. This is how it originated. Because uh, I brought up Hitchcock's yeah, reference. You brought up the OGs. I brought out the OE. Let's do it. <laughs> I brought up Hitchcock's reference in uh, Tuesday's episode, but that's not actually where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so he showed this expressionless facial feature with these other secondary shots. And depending on what the shot was, the audience reacted differently. So when they saw the person's face with the soup, they assumed he was hungry. When they saw the person's face with the kid in the coffin, he was grieving. The person's Mm. face in the woman, he was expressing desire. And, um, the basic concept was that from this was that it implied that viewers brought their own emotions into the film and thereby kind of put their current feelings on the actor regardless of the actor's performance it doesn't break the fourth wall but the viewer becomes the fourth wall Yeah. yeah so um there's been like a lot of studies with psychology and stuff and like how uh editing techniques and i think this like kind of brought about the whole concept of montage montage film um but there's been like a lot of studies on how you can manipulate audiences reactions by literally just the way you're editing films and um the hitchcock thing that i brought up uh last 
episode, which I showed to Brett right before this episode, um, Hitchcock's talking to another man and he, uh, while he's talking about the concept of it, shows shots of himself actually mm-hmm. like staring at something and then they change the second shot and then it's him smiling and uh, the first time it's a lady and a kid. And the second time, it's a lady in a bikini. And... A 1950s bikini, which <laughs> I didn't even recognize as a bikini. I was like, oh, what's that nice lady doing laying in the grass? <laughs> but yeah, he's the like... frills. <laughs> in the first shot, he's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you see the lady and the baby, he smiles. He's a, he's a friendly, benign grandpa figure. And in the second one, you see the lady in the bikini, and then he smiles. He's a dirty old man staring at a lady yeah. in a bikini. So um, I love Hitchcock's voice when he explains anything. <laughs> it's just his, like, what is he? He's his, a dirty old man. His rhythm when he talks. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the basic, which I kind of went over this Tuesday, so there's not a whole lot extra to add to it, but the basic principle is... Um, as an audience, we kind of have our own preconceived notions and our own thoughts and our own feelings about things. And we come into films and kind of lay down our own perceptions on them based on how they're edited or how they make us feel or how we're currently feeling about mm-hmm. what's going on. So, um, yeah, you can take a shot that didn't actually mean anything at all and then just by adding another shot to it force an audience to think something entirely different from the original intent well when you were explaining it explaining it (laughs) when you were explaining it to me off mic uh earlier today i i drew the connection between that and the classic writer's example the show not tell uh, where they tell you, don't show me the broken window, tell me what the moonlight looks like glinting off the shattered glass. And that's what that uh, Hitchcock uh, video that we watched kind of reinforced. Where he's like, you could replace that middle with anything. Mm-hmm. It could be smiling at anything, but it changes the character. You know, don't show me the shattered window. Don't go, there was a shattered window. It's unnecessary. Go, there was broken glass in the carpet and the breeze came through the shattered window. And all of a sudden I'm closer to the scene because I can relate myself to the window. You're not force feeding me how I should feel. You're leaving it open to interpretation. You're making me feel that way. Mm -hmm. You're making me see the shattered window without actually seeing the shattered window. That's the cool thing about the editing process, because who knows, um, when you originally shot something, if it doesn't quite work out how you intended, you can reinvent shots entirely, just how you place them. Yeah, no, you so. can completely gut them. You had the music video that you worked on, where you had the random assortment of shots, and you had to place them together to the music to create your own feel. Yeah, uh, the, the one I... Are you talking about the one I did for the Watts video? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't quite a music video. There was like a piano playing in the background. But yeah, I took a bunch of random shots and based them around the uh, audio that I was using. So then the shots have a different meaning than what they did yeah. originally. So, Do you have a favorite um, shot that you like to use? Like a favorite style? Yeah, like a favorite... <clears throat> whatever you would call the Kershaw, like a uh, film theory that you 
Not really. Because I have, like, my fragmented sentences that I'll forever visit over and over again. I had an affinity for the semicolon for, like, a year and a half. Um, do you have an affinity for a specific type of shot that you... Not really, because I think I'm so early into my career that I'm still kind of in that experimental phase where I'm learning what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Like seeking a voice still? Yeah, so I think, um, like when we did Ziggy, for instance, I hadn't really done much of any work at all with a wide lens. Like, I I knew what they did. I knew the concept of them. I had definitely, like, handled one before, but I had never... um, really intentionally sought out to work with one like anytime we did any other film work while I was in school just because I had access to the lenses I would always rent each type of lens that was available so I'd always rent a wide lens but then I'd never touch it Mm because it was like I don't really need it for this you know so um yeah when we did Ziggy I found myself kind of needing it at one point because we were in a cramped space and I was just like I don't have an option I really kind of need the wide lens and the more I messed with it the more I was like you know there's a lot of cool stuff you can kind of do with this so I'm still in that phase where it's like each film I'm like what haven't I done what haven't I tried what can I kind of like push my boundaries with so I don't I don't really have a, a personal favorite I don't really other than I'm for whatever reason, I've always been a really big fan of, like, cool tones. Um, I mm-hmm. really don't care. Like, they're they're necessary. I'm not, like, at a point of dislike where I refuse to do them at all, but I'm, I'm really not a big fan of warm shots. I don't know why. They just kind of turn me off. I really we'll have like... to challenge you in one of those homework <laughs> assignments to shoot entirely in the warm. Give Kristen 30 seconds of cool and the rest of it in warm. And I, I've used them before. Like I said, I'm not at the point of dislike for them that I, I won't use them at all, but if I had an option to shoot a warmer toned film versus a cold toned film, I'm going to shoot in blues and greens and purples and stuff like I just don't care for warm tone films mm-hmm. so that's about the only preference I've like developed and that's not not even like a thing that I was like oh I'm a filmmaker this is how I want to do it like even in scenes that I watch I always kind of tend to prefer the colder well, I've shots. always preferred colder shots yeah, over so. warmer shots they, they, they feel more isolated they feel more like you're focused on something the warm shots it's almost like there's too much going on that's too bright I'm having, there's no spotlight I on like the character I like intentionally placed warmth like we've watched a couple of films where the shot was for the majority a cold shot but then there'd be just this touch of mm-hmm. orange somewhere in the shot so i, I like the godfather gets away with is there's <laughs> an orange on every death in the godfather and that's kind like of a, a backwards like a literal orange like the oh. only like the only warm shots have to do with orange so like there's a guy with an orange bow tie he gets killed like hmm. don corleone goes and buys oranges and then gets shot in the back Every time you see the color orange, it means the death is coming. So it creates this dichotomy of what you're supposed to feel, you know. Like any time that they're in a warm shot with the family, anybody in that shot is going to get it in the next two movies. I never noticed that. That's kind of the back, like the opposite of how yeah. that would normally well, work. That's, that's what, weird. That's what Don Corleone's doing when he gets shot and Fredo drops his gun. He's in the act of buying oranges. Go hmm. back and watch it. There's oranges on the table. 
when the dawn meets with all the heads of the other families before they all die in the baptism scene and he dies in the last shot, everybody in the room's dead and there's a big table full of oranges in the middle of the room. That's interesting. There's a big gold telephone. I've definitely never noticed that. Yep. That's interesting. Because <laughs> that is kind of the opposite of how people normally use that. So that is neat. But yeah, like I'm okay with... God and, bless the Paula. <laughs> I'm okay with intentionally placed warmth. Like people's skin tones tend to look a little weird when their skin's too cold colored. Yeah. So um, like warmth on skin tones doesn't bother me. Or like candlelight where it's like a soft warmth. I don't, I don't like bright colorful warm shots mm-hmm. like those bother me for some reason montana's so. a perfect place for you so it's <laughs> it seems blue that outside <laughs> it's been very very blue the past few days we got buried in snow so yeah <laughs> gotta be making some neat films this winter hopefully but yeah i that's my only preference i've developed i like cold tones better but other than that i'm still just kind of playing <laughs> that's great how about you other than your your fragments, I think there's areas that I still play in. Um, I play a lot with character traits. Like I don't have like a signature character. You know, like if you read a King novel, they all have a similar child trait. You know, like there's a childish element to the hero. Um, other people have like learning characters and I don't know what mine is. I, I think my signature as of right now is my fragmentation helps me express my my love for like a, a disturbance and anxiety. I think my writing is a reflection of my mental issues. Um my characters don't always reflect those issues, but the style in which those characters are written is my main character. You can bet a thousand times out of a thousand I'm going to shatter them as a person to where you like them at the beginning and you don't know how to feel about them because at one point in the story their character becomes a point of necessary for survival they became this thing there's a transformation in like a Nietzsche kind of way where it becomes almost a negative transformation but it becomes one out of necessity and I stick the reader in the back pocket of that character towards so you could hate this person but you're going to understand why they got there. (laughs) And I don't know how to hammer it all the way in just yet, but I've written like that for the past five years, so I think that my signature is in there somewhere. And it might just be in the fragmentary rhythm of the sentences. But if I ever truly figure it out, then the game ain't worth playing anymore, and I might as well pick something else up. I'll you know, learn how to play racquetball again or something. I've always wondered whether or not um, that is totally a positive, like... uh... You need to find your voice because it separates you from your influencers so you know you're not copying them. And I'm close enough now to where I know I'm not copying anybody because I've been doing this for so long and I've read so many people it would be hard to copy any one person. Um... 
but I don't know if I'm like really holding the stick or like if I'm just a conglomeration of people that I'm forever going to feel like I'm not as good as. But I I wonder, because like there are, and it's not true of every artist for sure, but there are certain writers or filmmakers that have very distinct styles and you can almost... Like the Coen brothers or Tarantino. Mm -hmm. You know that's a Tarantino Yeah, like as as soon as it starts, you're like, oh, I know who did this. There's some surfer music that opened it up. We're watching a Tarantino movie. (laughs) Like, I wonder if that's a, a totally positive thing. Like, if you find a very distinct style that really works for you and you're good at, like, that's awesome. And if people really enjoy that, that's awesome. But then... If you stick to that, you've pigeonholed the whole rest of your career into only doing this one thing. Yeah. But I love Cormac McCarthy, but with the exception of um, The Road and No Country, uh, they're Westerns for the most part, even when it's not set in the West, even when it's the Appalachian Mountains. It's it's a Cormac McCarthy book, you know. It's a family or a person who is isolated from everything and then encounters this violent thing, reacts to it in a violent way, and the world beats that person. And that's Cormac McCarthy all the way through every single novel, except for the standouts that are set in more modern times, but they follow the same ABC trope. Even Polinick, my fucking favorite dude in the world, characters are nihilists they're isolated from the world they're reacting to the situation in the worst way possible so you get the narrator in fight club or you get the guy in survivor you get um choke you get those characters and they're all separate from each other but they all found themselves in the same way yeah it's grim fairy tales it's the curse of the artist you're gonna be pigeonholed well, <laughs> van gogh used too many brush strokes <laughs> well, like i know people in general are gonna have their preferences like you're never gonna write a rom-com just because you don't want to write a rom-com i might on a <laughs> whim but it's probably gonna, gonna be the most violent rom-com you've ever seen bride of chucky part three coming <laughs> at you son but that's, like, not your style. Like, you're not into that. So Chucky like... is lonely one day and brings Tilly back from the dead. <laughs> Pet cemetery style. Tiffany. <laughs> uh, Tiffany, not Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I know, like, to some extent, that kind of stuff happens just because we have our own preferences. But, like, I don't know. Like, I enjoyed any time I did anything um, kind of in the horror vein because... You had to play a little bit there. Like, anytime I had to do, like, special effects makeup or anything like that, I was like, oh, this is kind of a fun little experiment. And then, you know, I also, like, really admire a lot of stuff that's in kind of, like, the fantasy and sci-fi genre and stuff. So it's like, I don't really want to be, like, stuck in one area. Yeah. Like, I want to kind of, like, dip my toes around in different water. I think my two gears are horror or I get into investigative journalism in like really fucked up stories like there's never going to be a thing that you can hand a 15 year old that i will ever write that you'll be comfortable handing that 15 year old like if i break off into writing true crime it's going to be because like oh we found her in 73 different pieces in the children's cafeteria (laughs) <laughs> but that's your thing though you enjoy yeah. that so that makes sense yeah, for you yeah I love dead kids no. 
<laughs> I've been that genre. <laughs> Awkward. You got any other things on your notepad, love? Uh, no, I did pull out my editing book, though, because oh, I stumbled well, across this. Grace us um, with its presence. What's it called? I brought it up before because I definitely read something to you, and um, I think we hit a point where I didn't have anything to expand on, so that ended awkwardly but that was early into our podcast <laughs> career so i thought i'd bring it back up again in case you are a more recent listener and you haven't delved back 60 something <laughs> episodes um since we were kind of talking about editing today and brett's getting into the editing phase of yeah. his work and um and we were talking about film editing i haven't got anything to currently edit i still have to shoot my stuff but um if you're looking for a book that's a relatively short-ish book. It's a... It's a weekend read, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's got like 145 pages in it. It's not that long. 146. So you could definitely knock it out pretty quickly. In a week. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, compared 20 pages to, a day. <laughs> compared to most of my film books, if I'm going to recommend one that's a quick read, so you can kind of learn mm -hmm. something quickly for the purposes of the homework assignment, for instance. Um, it's a book about editing. Um... If you don't know anything at all about literal editing, this is not the book that's going to teach you how to literally click and drag and splice and all that shit. Um, it's more on the concept of editing. He talks more about editing theory and, you know, kind of like the cool job effect, like how um, people's personal uh, experiences, preferences, emotions, whatever kind of play into stuff. So um, this book is kind of more in that vein. It's called... In the Blink of an Eye by Walter Murch. Um, I own the second edition of the book, and um, I just had like a little highlighted section that I thought I would read real quick. Um, it's kind of about, again, the concept of like when to edit your shots and yeah. stuff like that. Um, he goes into a lot of different theories about where you should place importance when editing and how you can kind of feel when's the appropriate place to edit it. And, um, I know there's one section in the book where he's talking about how if you're in the real world having a conversation with someone, so this is a good practice you can have without any gear or any equipment or, mm -hmm. at all. If you're having a conversation with someone, especially if there are like three people or whatever and the other two people are talking, um, we kind of instinctively, as people are talking, look between the two people. So if someone's telling a really interesting story and you're just captivated looking at them, listening to their story, or if they tell a funny joke and you're kind of interested in what the other person's reaction is, you naturally kind of look over to the other person to see to what their the reaction is. Or either or. So oh, okay. Like a joke happens, you're laughing, you look to see if the other person is laughing yeah, like as well. If you know someone's telling a captivating story, you just can't look away from you're staring at that person. But if they're saying something that you expect a reaction from you look to the other person hmm. for their reaction so we kind of naturally do that in our lives already so there's like a whole theory on that like you can kind of naturally time when you look to the other person so if you're editing a conversation in a film when in that story if you had been standing there in real life would you have looked to the other person so um there's like a whole concept on that mm -hmm. but uh this is uh he refers to um kind of the concept of cutting as blinking, like actual physical blinking yeah. with your eyes. He's like, at what point do you blink and look away and all this stuff? So um, that's kind of what this paragraph is about. 
says, so we entertain an idea or a linked sequence of ideas and we blink to separate and punctuate that idea from what follows. Similarly, in film, a shot presents us with an idea or a sequence of ideas and the cut is a blink that separates and punctuates those ideas. At the moment you decide to cut, what you are saying is, in effect, I'm going to bring this idea to an end and start something new. It's important to emphasize that cut by itself. I'm sorry, it's important to emphasize that the cut by itself does not create the blink moment. The tail does not wag the dog. If the cut is well placed, however, then more extreme, the visual discontinuity from dark interior to bright interior, for instance, the more thorough the effect of punctuation will be. So, you think of uh, your edits you're making in your short films or in your other work, your homework assignments, whatever. Um, as naturally, at what point in a conversation would you have looked away or looked to the other person or if left the conversation? Watching, if yeah. you were watching it happen live. So, it's, it's a neat way to think about it. Um, pacing and editing is a very difficult thing to nail down. It's not mm -hmm. a thing that I'm personally... Um, I haven't perfected it myself. I Me either. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle a lot, weirdly, in particular with conversation uh, pieces when you just have two people talking to each other because there's not a lot of, like, tense action or anything mm -hmm. going on. So you have to kind of, like, feel out the vibe for yourself. Like, at what point do I cut to the other person or back or whatever? So, um... And it can't always be when the person starts to talk or, or you stops. wind up with like these hardcore things. Yeah, um, like you almost want that look of a person spinning the spaghetti as the other person begins their next sentence and then picks it up and before they place it in their mouth, you cut to the speaker. So you kind of get this fluidity. So um, there's two separate types of editing called L cuts and J cuts. Um, and they're literally named that way for the way... Um, if you're editing in editing software, your video, like your line of media, like mm -hmm. your video line will be on top and then the audio line will be below it. And, um, you can separate the video and audio file from each other and cut the video shorter than the audio or vice versa cut the audio shorter than the video so it changes the way those two linked medias are shaped so it literally looks like an l or a j mm -hmm. um and that kind of falls in that like you can if brett and i were recording this live um i could cut away from the video of me talking and cut the video over to brett's face while my voice carries on so, um, yeah, you can cut visually to other things while someone is talking. They don't have to be on screen the whole time they're talking. Um, there's a lot of reasons to not do that because it, it is a much harsher cut when you cut the audio and the video together. If you transition one or the other first, uh, it's smoother. It feels more natural because that's kind of how, like I was saying a minute ago, what we do in real life. If I was standing here watching two people talk, I would be looking between them. I wouldn't necessarily... Look at one person till yeah. they finished and then look at the other person till they finished. So it's more natural to kind of flow back and forth. So things to keep in mind. Got any other thoughts? No. Yeah. No. This feels like the most educational episode of the Mistakes Were Made <laughs> podcast that we've ever recorded. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm beyond fucking proud of us right now. We've done a lot of good ones, though. 
We've done a lot of good ones, but I've got a bag full of shit that I need to go through with a red pen. I've got to come up with uh, the script between now and next Friday. And we're going to shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> we're going to show this motherfucker to you. We're going to have ours done probably a week before yours is done. And Don't put that kind of pressure on me. I still got to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a week of editing because we got a week ahead of them. Technically, because we record these and they don't go live. So, <laughs> um, If you guys have questions, comments, concerns, if there's something we have not covered, do not be afraid to reach out to us. We want to answer whatever questions we're capable of handling or point you towards things that might be able to help you out. So if you're stuck and you don't know what the fuck to do, you can shoot us an email up at... Uh, Nightmareboxproductions at Gmail. Or you can float us something over on Facebook. Um, and I'll apologize in advance for my drunken reply at... Facebook.com slash Nightmareboxproductions. Um, maybe it fits, you know, 140 characters. And you want to go over there and um, Twitter that question at... <laughs> at Nightmareboxbrew. Um, or if you're sitting there and you're like, I think I got a shot, but I don't know if I got a shot. Does this shot look good enough? And all you got is a picture. You can shoot that on Instagram at... At Nightmare Box Productions. Um, and if you want to see what Kristen's done thus far to see her expertise with the camera, which she does not give herself enough credit for, you can go on over to youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington. You'll see the dolls. You'll see the other stuff she's got on there. And pretty soon, that's where you're going to find our completed homework assignment. Or you can go on over to... TheNightmareBox.blog And you can see that same film up in the top right hand corner. If you go to the bottom right hand corner, you can buy The Madman Diaries. That's my tiny little brochure of a short story collection that I wrote. Um, if you send me $10, I'll send it to you anywhere in the world. Doesn't matter if it costs $20 to get it to you. I'll eat the other $10 to get it to you. And even if um, you're not going to participate in the homework challenge, you should go check out the site because we recently revamped it and Brett has other stories on there you can also read. Yeah, you so. can read those for free and I plan on getting more out to you in the new year. Um, got nothing that I miss? Nope. I want to thank you guys once again for um, staying tuned, listening to the show, uh, participating, talking to us. It means the world to me that we're, we're able to do this sort of thing. Not a lot of people get to do this kind of thing. And I can't wait to see what comes uh, in the new year and the new challenge. And I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we'll talk to you on Tuesday.